This is Trey Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this teaching. I pray that it empowers you, encourages you, and motivates you to know God and to be who He's created you to be. I've never preached a message like this before, so it'll be interesting. Um, but know that the Lord loves us, and He wants us to grow. He wants us to come up. And we're in a season where we need to come up, and we need to grow, and we need to be all that God's created us to be. And we need to be able to shine bright so people are drawn to us so we can point them to the Father, right? Because we can't change the world by being just like the world. Right? Right. So the message is sunflowers. It's such a Heather message. <laughs> yes, yes. Trey's mom said, so what are you preaching on? I said, sunflowers. She was like, oh, okay, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> yes. So this, um, this summer when we were driving, we're driving down the road and we see two um, fields of sunflowers. And one of the sunflowers were facing the sun and the other field of flowers were turned away from the sun. And I'm like, what's going on there? Because I had never known um, that sunflowers didn't always follow the sun. Well, a mature sunflower doesn't follow the sun. The younger sunflowers always track the sun's movement. So their faces are always towards the sun. The mature sunflower always stays east. And then a few days later, or it wasn't a few days later, but um, when I was driving to Amarillo, no, where were we? Lubbock. We were just in Lubbock. I saw a field of sunflowers and they had their heads completely turned down. So there's three points here in my message tonight about sunflowers, but I want to go back to mature sunflowers don't track the movement of the sun. Mature sunflowers don't track the movement of the sun. So immediately, I think of the body of Christ. Okay, Father, what are you trying to tell me? And as I'm praying and I'm driving, then I see a field of people and they all have their back turned towards the Lord. They're not facing the sun. They've got their backs to God. I'm like, okay, God, what are you telling me? And then I hear puffed up. Well, which takes me to our first verse, which is 1 Corinthians 8, 1, which says, we know that we all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Say that with me. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I want you to listen to it in the Passion Translation. It says, it seems that everyone believes his own opinion is right. How easily we get puffed up over our own opinions, but love builds up the structure of our new life. If anyone thinks of himself as a know-it-all, he still has a lot to learn. But if a person passionately loves God, he will possess the knowledge of God. Knowledge puffs up. That phrase puffs up in the Greek means arrogant and proud. Arrogant and proud. James 4, 6 tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Say that with me. God resists the proud. I don't want God resisting me. We don't want God resisting us. Pride is a blessing blocker. Pride is a sign of weakness. Do you know that it takes more strength to humble yourself and keep your mouth shut than it does to just fly off at the mouth? I mean, hello? It takes, and it takes a humble person to know that you don't always have to run your mouth back to somebody that's always running their mouth, right? Pride always wants to be the center of attention. 
Pride always wants to be the center of attention. Pride receives glory from men. Pride always has to be right. And pride loves the approval of men over God. Examples of pride are assuming that you know something when somebody's preaching. Come on, preacher, I've heard that verse already. Preach something different. Can I get a new verse, please? Ugh, that verse again. Or if somebody's telling you something and you want to interrupt them because you already know what they have to say and what you have to say is more important, right? Right. Pride enters the room before they do. Their ego enters the room before they do. That's not very good, is it? God resists the proud. Pride can harden our hearts. I want you to hear what Hebrews 3, 7 says. And I'm going to read several verses here in Hebrews 3. Starting in verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, say, hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. He was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. What do you think God thinks about our generation right about now? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. They always go astray in their hearts. Take a look around. Where are we? Right. As they have not known my ways, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Say that with me, an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. And departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then it skips down and it says, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then we're gonna skip down to verse 18. They would not enter his rest but to those who did not obey. So you're not gonna enter his rest if you don't obey. Sounds like rebellion, right? Disobedience is rebellion. They could not enter in because of unbelief. Skip down. The word which they heard did not profit them, listen, not being mixed with faith. Not being mixed with faith. For we have believed, for we who believe, if you believe, you get to enter in. If you don't believe, that's unbelief, and it's a hindrance, right? How many times in those, what, 20 verses or so, did it say, do not harden your hearts? Four times. Four times. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Okay, so you know if God says one thing in the Bible, you should listen to it and you should obey it. But if he says it four times within 20 verses, he's trying to get your attention until you don't rebel, right? You turn your back to God, you don't hear him, your heart, your heart gets hard. You can't receive, right? You can't receive something on a hard heart. When one hears a lot of word and for a long time, one can be puffed up. They think that I know this, I will have to hear this verse again. And it doesn't just have to be puffed up in knowledge towards the word. It can be in your field um, that you're called to, in your sphere of influence. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. Nobody can talk to you. You don't have a teachable spirit. Pride is a blessing blocker. Remember that. Say, pride is a blessing blocker. 
and we don't have a teachable spirit, it's hard for us to grow, right? We always need to be teachable. I have to work at that. And correction is huge. Sometimes we need to be corrected. I'm not a good being corrected person. I'm getting better, but sometimes I don't like to be corrected. <laughs> like I just want to do it my way. Well, that's not really a servant's heart, is it? No, so I'm growing and I'm getting better. Go me, yeah. So the word hardened means to make callous. So like guy's hands, that work outside, they actually have calluses on their hand and they like snag your pantyhose. I used to think that was so cool. Like I never wanted to date a guy with soft hands because like, what do you do with your hands? Like, why aren't you outside working? <laughs> Trey's hands are really rough and I really like that. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he said, he was, he was rubbing himself the other day or scratching. He's like, oh my gosh, my hands, like I almost made myself bleed. I need some lotion. I was like, no lotion, I like your rough hands. <laughs> but seriously, a hard heart is like callous. You don't listen to the Holy Spirit, you turn away, you don't listen, it puts a little callous. You keep not listening, it puts another callous. And before you know it, your heart is completely callous and it can't receive, it can't hear what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you. That's not a good place to be in, especially in today's time, right? So how do we overcome a hard heart? This is a really good one. Y'all are gonna be so excited about this. By fasting. Yes, everybody likes to fast, right? And prayer. That's really awesome. Yes, Ezekiel 36, 26 tells us that he'll give us a new heart and put a new spirit within us. He'll take out a hard heart and give us a heart of flesh. I've actually fasted a lot and prayed a lot and used this scripture because as most of y'all know, I didn't come out of a, a perfect background. I, did, I haven't always been Trey's wife. I haven't always lived the perfect little life. And because of everything I went through, I had to make myself my hard heart because I'm not going to let you in or just like when I had Chloe at eight well I got sentenced with Chloe when I was eight months pregnant to 22 months in a federal prison and so I had to have my baby and go to prison and so my mom had to bring her to me every day or every weekend and I had to make my hard heart because that was not an easy thing leaving my baby and so you learn to have a hard heart and detach and just move on, but that keeps you from hearing God, that keeps you from loving people, and we're called to love people, right? And you can't love people if your heart's hard, if your heart is hard, yes. So how do we overcome? Fasting and praying, fasting and praying. Fasting and praying, say it with me, fasting and praying. It'll make your heart soft, I promise, it works. So what else makes us turn away from God? rebellion. And that scripture we just read, rebellion is mentioned four times. As in the rebellion, as in the rebellion, disobedience, disobedience. You don't enter in because of disobedience. You know what the Bible says about re rebellion? It's opposition to authority. Rebellion always begins in the heart. Rebellion is a position of our heart. We're born with a rebellious Some of us more than others are born. I mean, it's just like sin nature. We're born sinners by no part of our own other than being born. Adam and Eve did that for us. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, right? They did that for us in the garden, right? 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, for, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Hmm. Rebellion and witchcraft. If you're a Christian, you don't do witchcraft, right? It'd be kind of odd coming to my house and I have bloody mess and we're sacrificing a cow or whatever, right? That's just odd. We don't do that, but that's exactly what this is saying. They're saying rebellion is just like the sin of witchcraft. So rebellion goes against godly authority. Hear me, 
Rebellion goes against godly authority. It is never okay to try to control somebody by fear, by lies. So what's going on in today? Rebellion, Why don't, if we're gonna rebel, let's rebel against Satan, right? Let's rebel against fear, let's rebel against lies because God never tries to control. And God would never try to control us by fear. God would never, God can't lie. God is, there's no fear in God. So when somebody's trying to control you like that, it's a very thin line. However, it's okay to rebel against the devil. And we can't rule and reign at the same time, right? Can you rule and reign and rebel at the same time? No, we either rule and reign or we rebel. So you gotta choose one. And I choose to rule and reign in this life through one man, Jesus Christ, right? And if I'm gonna rebel, I'm gonna rebel against Satan. And I'm gonna stand up for God and his word and what's right and what's true, right? Right. Who is the poster child for rebellion? Pharaoh, right? He hardened his heart, would not let the people go over and over. Yeah, I'll let the people go. I'm not gonna let the people go. Frogs in his coffee cup, calluses, lies the death of his child, which eventually killed him too, right? He kept hardening his heart to the word. What is an example of rebellion in today's society? How about all the riots that have been going on? How about all these kids that probably never had their honey spanked because they're in the cop's face yelling at them, spitting at them? They probably handed, what's that, participation trophies? Like they have no idea what hard work's about. And I know my generation, where we have a lot, I mean, some of those are our kids. Like, Lord, help us. Lord, forgive me. Call us crop failure on the seeds that are planted in those kids' hearts that think that they can act that way. Because you can't. That's not okay. God put the cops on the planet and on this world or in this world to protect us. Godly authority. Kingdom has authority in it. The kingdom of heaven has authority. And there's rank and there's position. And you have to follow it. God did it for our protection. Satan's nature is pride, rebellion, and stubbornness. Stubbornness is a form of rebellion. Stubbornness is a form of rebellion. <sighs> I've so had to work on this one. So now I'm strong-willed towards the Lord, and my kids are strong-willed towards the Lord. We're not going to be stubborn. We're not going to be prideful. We're not going to be rebellious. Rebellious is of the devil. I want none of that in my house. Some people actually take pride in being stubborn. <laughs> I didn't budge a bit, did I? I'm so cool. Um, okay, no, you're not. Like, you look like a fool, really. Like, they don't compromise. They will not admit that they're wrong. Why be like that? That's not a soft heart. Listen to what Proverbs 8.13 tells us. I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 8.13 says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Right out of the Bible. That's the Bible. Do you believe what the Bible says? That's not me talking. That's the Bible. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. With humility comes wisdom. So what's the cure to pride? Being humble. What does humble look like? Saying what God says about you. You know, we have... We're connected to a lot of rodeo kids, and there's these up-and-coming rodeo kids, and this one little kid, he is like the poster child of humbleness to me. And it's Chloe's ribbon roping partner, and you would never know how much money this kid has won. And this kid has won so much money, I mean, like more money than some adults make in a year. And I'm like, and you would never know that this kid has won all this money. He's the most humble kid, he's the most loving and kind and respectful and honorable little kid. His parents have done an excellent job with him. But then there's these other kids 
that their egos walk in before they do and you're like, oh, bless the Lord. Like their parents, like you pray for their parents because that is a spirit of pride on them. And I mean, can you imagine when they're 20? Lord, help them. Help them have a soft spirit. Help them go after God. Help them understand that God created them that way, gave them the gifts and the talents to rope and to be what, to have all of that, but to give God the honor and the glory, not to keep it for ourselves. So let's look at deception. Deception is thinking you're right when you're actually wrong. Satan deceived Eve in the garden. How? By questioning her over and over and over and over, and she bought into the lies. She started listening to the questions. Remember what we just read here in Hebrews 3.13, it says, you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Listening to lies continually over and over and over will talk you out of truth. Listening and watching um, things on TV that go against the character and nature of God, like say, we're just gonna go here, the gay stuff they put on TV, like inner, inner the gay stuff, like, why, why do we have to have that on TV? God, God did not, mm-mm. No, no. Do y'all remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Do we remember that? I mean, God loves people, but God hates sin. It is not okay. And you continually, you watch that and you surround yourself with that. That is a very, okay, let me skip over that. Um, it is not okay. If what is going on in front of you goes against the character and nature of God, you need to remove yourself from it. You can speak to it, you can pray to it, but then remove yourself. Don't hang out with it. Rebellion, stubbornness, and unbelief is of the flesh. Galatians 5.17 tells us that our flesh wars against our spirit and our spirit against our flesh. It is a daily battle sometimes. And sometimes you can do really good for a long period of time and then a situation can happen and your old man rises up and you're like, oh my gosh, you want to punch somebody in the face. But guess what? That's not who you are anymore, right? So you control yourself and you command your spirit to be stronger than your flesh. But you have to train yourself to learn how to make your, your flesh submit. Because your flesh... We're all, we all have flesh, we live in this world, we are all gonna have to deal with it. That's why it's so important. Which one are you gonna feed? Your flesh or your spirit? Your flesh or your spirit? Because whichever one you feed the most is the one that's gonna show up when trouble comes, right? So what else makes us turn away from God? Unbelief. Unbelief can harden our hearts. I'm gonna read Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 again, but I'm gonna read it in the Amplified Version. Therefore, beware, brethren, take care, lest there be in any of you a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to cleave in, to trust in, and rely on Him, leading you to turn away. Say that with me. Leading you to turn away and desert or stand aloof from the living God. Say this with me. Unbelief leads you away from God. Unbelief leads you away from God. Verses 13 and 14, but instead warn, admonish, urge, and encourage each other every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you be hardened into settled rebellion. You may not be hardened into settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin. Don't you know that Satan can make sin look fun? Satan can make sin look like, woohoo, that's so much fun over there, pate. I mean, like Vegas, the city of sin, right? I mean, that city grieves my spirit absolutely grieves my spirit. Don't buy the lie. Don't be deceived. You can't change what God has said. You accept it. There's no gray. It's black. For me, there's no gray. There's black and white. It is what it is. And if it goes against what God has said, I don't want any part of it. I will pray for you, but I do not want to be around it, right? Unbelief will keep us from receiving from God. It's a blessing blocker, it's a promise blocker and it hinders our prayer life. 
unbelief hinders our prayer life. Matthew 21, 22 tells us that whatever things we ask in prayer, believe that you receive. We have to believe that we receive. Like if you're not getting answered prayers, are you believing that you received? Or instead of questioning God, why aren't you answering my prayers? What are you praying? How are you praying? What scripture are you standing on? What verse do you have? So instead of questioning God, you should question the prayer, right? Because unanswered prayer in James 4.3 tells us we ask and we do not receive because you ask amiss. That word amiss means you ask wrong. You ask improperly. You can't ask for Jim Bob's wife. That's not okay. You can't pray, oh God, please give me Jim Bob's wife. God's not going to do that. I mean, hello, like who prays like that? But you can pray for God to bring the right mate to your life. You can pray for God to bring you the right person, a God after a woman or man after God's own heart. You can do that. You can pray for healing on your body by Galatians 3.13, that you're redeemed from the curse. 1 Peter 2.24, that I've been healed and made whole by the stripes of Jesus, right? If you need finances, Philippians 4.19, you call in finances. Father, you supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. How about Proverbs 13.22? I like this one. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, and I call in the wealth of the wicked into this ministry and into y'all's lives, right? And angels, guess what? Psalms 103.20 tells us that when we pray according to God's word, that gives angels assignments, and they go and they work on our behalf. But we have to pray scripture. We have to pray the word. We can't pray against... God's word, we can't pray without or in alignment with God's word. You can't pray against God's word and expect to receive. It doesn't work that way. So what else makes us turn away from God? How about sin? How about shame? Just to name a few, right? And so what is sin? Sin just means missing the mark, means being separated from God. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that our iniquities, which is a fancy word for sin, has separated us from God and our sins have hidden his face from us. So just like the sunflower was turned away, our sin makes us have our back towards God. We feel like we can't go to God because we've sinned. We feel like God wants nothing to do with us because of all the things we've done in our past, right? That's a lie straight from the pit of hell trying to keep you from entering into the presence of God because God tells us that if we pray and we ask for him to forgive us, he forgive us of our sins. He is just and he is faithful to forgive us. Jesus preached the kingdom and Jesus preached repentance. He did not preach acceptance of sin. How many times have you heard, especially in today's society, well, Jesus loves people. Jesus loves all people. Just love. Absolutely, we love you, but we don't have to lack your lifestyle. We don't have to agree for, with your lifestyle. We can pray for you and we can call you out of darkness into light, but I don't have to love your lifestyle. I love you, but I don't love your lifestyle. I don't agree with it and don't try to make me agree with it because you're deceived. I'm not deceived. I'm not walking in dark. You are. I'm walking in light. So come over here and get some light so you can see because when you're in the dark, you can't see, right? Right. Proverbs 28, 13, listen to this. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. What? Is that what that says? Let's read it again. It does. Proverbs 28, 13. <laughs> you will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Well, I'll be. Confess them and give them up, and then God will, sure God will show mercy to you. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. The devil has tried to make me hide my head in shame. Won't do it. Won't do it. Acts 3.19 tells us to repent, turn to God. Repent and turn to God. Repent means what? 
to turn away from a lifestyle and walk in a different direction, turn away from whatever's wrong and walk in a different, in a different direction. Repenting is a condition of your heart because you can say one thing with your mouth and turn right around and do the same thing. So you, that's not true repentance. True repentance is a condition of their heart where you truly turn away from that lifestyle. You truly don't want to disappoint your father anymore. You truly have no desire to walk in lies and deception. You truly don't want to be that person anymore. Repentance is a condition of your heart. It's a heart change. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. 1 John 2, 1 tells us that if we do sin, it's okay. You have an advocate, Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. But there are some camps that think you don't have to, to ask for forgiveness because it's a one-time thing. You get saved, you ask for God to forgive your sins then, past, present, future sins are all forgiven. Um, there's lots of scriptures that are not in agreement with that because you're human, you walk in your flesh most, well, not most days, but especially in the beginning. And there's days where even somebody that's been saved for a long time can, old man, rise up, what, where'd you come from? Well, I can just take the right person to want you, you want to like just punch them in their face because they're not being very nice. But we have self-control today, so thank you, Lord. Let's look at King David. King David is the poster child for what? A repentance and a soft heart. A man after God's own heart committed adultery. He lied. He committed murder. But what did he do? Time after time, he repented. He turned back to God. God, forgive me. God forgave him, and God still continued to use him. He's one of the best kings there was, right? And important for you to know that your past failures do not disqualify you. You have a true heart change. You have a true repentant heart. God will always continue to use you. God will always continue to use you. Your past failures do not determine your future, especially in the kingdom. God likes to use people like me. Because there are people that have never done a whole lot of anything wrong that have always walked in the church and they always think they're really perfect. And you're like, bless the Lord. I mean, that's a per perfect picture of pride right there but they turn people like me away. Like, oh, I don't wanna be anything like that. And that's what it was like first coming in. It's like, bless the Lord, but it's okay. Cause I love you anyway. And I know how to pray for you now. <laughs> and I know how not to get offended by that. But sometimes we don't. So it's very important for us, for people coming in that we're loving and kind and help them walk through that. So shame, what does shame make you do? Like the ostrich puts its head in the hole. That's what shame tries to do, right? Shame tries to talk you out of who you are. The devil tries to always remind you of your past and what you did, and this is who you are. It's very important that we know how to speak back to shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 tells us that to awake to righteousness. Say it with me, awake to righteousness. One more time, awake to righteousness. Righteousness is such a huge word because it's a free gift. The moment you're born again, the moment you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become righteous. There is absolutely nothing you can do to make yourself unrighteous, but you have to know about righteousness. You have to get in this Bible and read it for you to know what all the rights and privileges that go along with your righteousness. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Do you know how many times that I've had to walk the floor in my office and scream at the devil and tell him he's not going to talk me out of my identity. He is not going to talk me out of my righteousness. He is not going to try to convince me that I am my past because I am not my past. God, Jesus, sees me through the blood of Jesus. He sees me healed. He sees me whole. He sees me clean. He sees me blessed. He sees me chosen. 
He chose me to stand here tonight and talk to you and minister you. He chose me to be married to Trey, even though when I got married to Trey, I was like, oh, I gotta tell you some things. <laughs> um, I have this really big past. <laughs> but Trey saw me the way the Lord saw me. Whole, redeemed, restored. And the cool thing about restoration is when God restores our life from mess, that he restores it better than it was before. That means that I'm better than before for Trey, and Trey's my better than before. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for that. So you have to speak to your shame. How do we speak to our shame? So when the devil tries to tell us of our past sins, we tell him to shut his mouth and to get under our feet, right? He has no place in our life. Shame is under my feet, and I resist you in Jesus' name. Satan, you get out of here in Jesus' name. I am bought, a blood-bought daughter of a king. I'm a princess. I have a crown. I really do. I'm a princess warrior. That's who I am for the kingdom of God. And you cannot talk me out of who I am. I am not my past behavior. I am not my past behavior. And the more I understand what my identity is, the more my identity determines my behavior. It's a huge thing, huge. So you speak to your shame. You open your mouth and you have to speak back to it. You can't do mental gymnastics. It doesn't work that way. What does hurt look like? Sometimes people turn away from God and turn away because they get hurt by the church, they get hurt by people, they get hurt from a divorce, the loss of a loved one, but you need to know that Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. He is close to those that are crushed in spirit. He loves us enough, and he, he always loves us, but we have to go to him and not run from him. And he does not take anybody prematurely. I know, oh, God just needed another baby in heaven. If I ever, I mean, my Lantus, that is the dumbest thing ever. Please never say that. I mean, I know us here probably never say it, but please never say that. God did not take your baby. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his character and nature. And God comes to give us life and life more abundantly. What else? What else? How about the unbeliever? What makes the unbeliever not want to get saved? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us, for the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbeliever. The God of this world blinds the minds of the unbeliever. It's not gonna be fun if you get saved. Look at all the things you're gonna have to give up. Oh my gosh, like no drinking, no partying, no, I know, okay, pornography. Like I didn't know that that was really a thing, but it really is a thing. Let me tell you, it really is, and it's sad. What you give your attention to draws a desire, Proverbs 4.20. And this is a really good scripture for anybody trying to come off drugs, alcohol, any type of addiction. What you give your attention to builds a desire. What are you addicted to? Be addicted to the Word of God. Be addicted to the Word of God. Be addicted to this presence. Be addicted to the Word, because that's the only thing that's going to set you free. That's the only thing that's going to bring healing and deliverance in your life. Proverbs 4.20, be addicted to His Word. Yes. So, seeking relationship with the Father. Seeking relationship with the Father. When you get a new girlfriend, what do you want to do? You always want to talk to her, right? Like, oh my gosh, I so wonder what they're doing. I want to text them. You want to talk to them. You want to go to dinner. You spend time. You want to fellowship, right? Well, when you get saved, it's important that you fellowship with your new father, your father. He's always been your father, but it's a new relationship to you. And so what do you do? You seek him. You have relationship. What does that look like? That means reading the word, finding out who you are in Christ, right? So when the devil comes to try to steal it, you can say, uh-uh, I know who I am, right? You have to build relationship with your father. You have to seek relationship. Just like a new relationship in the natural, a girl, a boy, whatever it is, 
You want to always, there's consuming thoughts of them. Consume yourself with thoughts of the word. Consume yourself with things that's actually going to change your life and set you up to succeed. Jesus said in John 8, 12, that he is the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. Light of life. I want to be a light, right? Don't we all want to be a light and give honor and glory to our Father? So when we stop following after God, then we're in the dark and our hearts become hard. Do you remember the parable of the sower? In Matthew 13, 3, it says down here, some seed, I'm not going to read all of it because I know that we've heard this over and over, but I do want to read this to you. As he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured it. So he's sowing seed. Some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. I'm going to skip down to verse 18. And it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Wayside ground is comparable to a hard heart. Why? Because it never penetrated the ground. If your, heart, if your heart is hard and people are sowing seeds into your heart, they're not getting penetrated. They're not getting planted. And your heart is a production center. All it knows how to do is produce. That's why it's important what you listen to, what you read. What kind of music do you listen to driving down the road? Is it always country music? Is it always, I don't know, I won't dance. My kid's looking at me like, mom, please don't dance. <laughs> But there are some songs that are absolutely, like, there's that one song, ain't nobody tell me nothing, ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. You, are you serious? And there's kids walking around singing this song like it's a cool song. Absolutely not. My child will not listen to that music because that is gonna do nothing but produce what? Rebellion, stubbornness, hard heart, right? Spanking time, yes. Wayside ground is comparable to a hard heart because seed never penetrated the ground. Why? Because of lack of understanding. Ephesians 4.17 tells us that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, being separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance just means you don't know yet. You have not been informed. You have not had light shed on you, right? Because of the ignorance in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, because of the blindness of their hearts. But once you hear something, you're no longer ignorant. And you will be accountable for what you hear, what you choose to do, and what you choose not to do. That's a weighty statement, but it's very true. Are you going to be a doer of the word or are you going to be a hearer? Because I want the power of God to show up in my life. So I want to be a doer. Listen to what it says in the, the um, Passion Translation. So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say, you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrendered their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. 
Do not be this person. Go after God with all that you have. If you see it in the Word, believe it and do it. There's no gray. It's black and it's white. If you're in darkness, you can't see what you need to see, right? If we were in this room and all these lights were off, we couldn't see anything. It would be dark, right? That's why we need light. We need to always follow the light, just like the young sunflowers always follow the light. They always follow the sun. Always follow your father. Our heart would never be to intentionally disappoint our parents. Our heart would never be to intentionally disappoint God. And he loves us and he's merciful and he's gracious. Is he not? Every single day, our mercies are new. Every single day. Every single day. So what is the Father wanting us to know? He's wanting us to know that it's great that you have knowledge, but don't be puffed up with knowledge. Take it from your heart to your head and let it produce in your life. Don't be puffed up. Puffed up makes you hard. Pride, rebellion, unbelief, deception, and sin, they all lead to a hard heart. And when we have a hard heart, we can't hear. If the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to us and keep us from going somewhere, but we can't hear, and crash, boom, bang happens because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit, because He will always warn you. He will always tell you. You have to have a soft heart to hear. If you have a hard heart, you can't hear. So what is our solution? Fasting and praying. Everybody likes fasting and praying. Yeah. As a body of believers, we need to turn our faces back to God and turn our backs on the ways of the world. No more lying, no more deception. Soft heart, soft, open, staying humble, walking in love. Even when somebody's not lovable, you can still love them because you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost to love the unlovable. We're called to love people, but we can't love people if we have a hard heart. So we have to have a soft heart. How do we keep a soft heart in a hard world? Fasting and praying, seeking the face of our Father, loving, releasing, letting go, not taking offense. Because some people can offend you, and they're not meaning to offend you. They're just rude. Pray for them. That's what we do a lot of the times. Okay, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them, right? So the Father wants you to return to Him. The Father wants you to seek His face. The Father wants you at His feet in His throne room, seeking and desiring relationship with Him. I'm going to pray over you. Father, I just thank You for Your Word. Father, we love you, and we repent in our hearts for any pride, for any rebellion, for any stubbornness. Holy Spirit, you recall things in our life where we need to come up, where we need to grow, where we need to change, where we need to repent. Show us, Holy Spirit, and show us when to keep a guard over our mouth. Show us when, Father. We ask for your help. We ask for your guidance. We receive this word. I seal it in their hearts, Father, as they sleep tonight. You give them dreams and visions. And when you wake, when they awake in the morning, Father, you're talking to them, your spirit's guiding, directing, leading them. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy, Father. We thank you that our desires are connected to your desires, that we choose to be separated, that we choose to be set apart, that we choose to walk in all that you've called and created us to walk in. Our desires are always to please you always to walk according to your word and your will. Father, we love you. We call you faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Father, you are so faithful. You are so good. 
We thank you for your blood. We thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, that washes us clean, that you see us through the blood of Jesus, cleansed, redeemed, whole, restored, chosen, blessed. That's how you see us, that you chose us. Father, we love you. We love you, we love you, we love you. And we bless you, Father, and we call you faithful to watch over your word to perform it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is my first offering message. Are y'all ready for this? I'm so excited. Okay, are you turned off? Thank you. Okay, are y'all ready? Okay, so tonight we've learned the importance of continuing to follow him no matter what stage of life we're in and administering to the Lord with our finances is a key part of our heart and how we keep our hearts soft and open towards the Lord. Trey did this, these are Trey's words, these are not my words, I have never done an offering message before, but I just want to step aside from this for a minute and let you know that sowing and tithing, of course, is a huge part of what is how we live now, but prior to that, I was not taught, really, tithing and seed sowing, but I can tell you what it has done in our life. I can tell you what it did in my life when I started sowing before I was even married to Trey. I mean, I've talked to coffee pots. I have talked to washing machines. I have talked to dryers. I have talked to my suburban and it works because the word says that he rebukes the devourer for our sake. When we're tithers and he's asking, he tells us to prove him on this, prove me. And he opens the windows of heaven over us. And where our treasure is, there's our heart. And when we sow, when we sow seed, when we tithe, when we give our 10% to God, and when you give above and beyond that, He sees that and He honors that. And He is a man to honor His word. God cannot lie and He will not lie. And this is the cool thing about tithing and giving is that when you have an almost dead cow or when your tires are going out on your Suburban or when the, not the tires, but what's that, the transmission, when it starts to go out, you can speak to it. Just like the, chil the children's shoes of Israel never gave out for 40 years, this transmission is gonna last until resources come in for me to get a new Suburban. And it worked for months. That's what we prayed over that old Suburban, for months. And the resources came and we got a new Suburban. We pray over our tires on that rig all the time. And then when they do blow, we pray, <laughs> we, we keep declaring the word because sometimes things just wear out but the word works. Seeking the Lord positions us to have no lack in our life. Psalms 34.10 says, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall lack nothing. Seek is an action word you're going after in the direction to search, to follow, to inquire, to require of the Lord. When we're following the sun and we continue like the sunflower, we have no place for lack. Giving keeps our hearts soft towards the Lord. I remember before I got married to Trey and I was doing these Bible studies in my house, in the church that I was going to at the time started talking about finances and I was like, I give to the, they had kids stuff, like help the needy kids, help pay for their lunch, help clothe them. I would always give to that. But when they started asking me for money for the church, I'm like, mm, why are they doing that? Like I was uncomfortable with it until I knew, because if you don't know, then you are uncomfortable with it. But when you know the rights and the privileges and the protection that comes along with being a tither, with being a seed sower, how could you not? You're hindering yourself. You're blocking yourself. And I know we here, we, are, we all understand that. But I'm speaking in faith and working out my first tithe message. 
<laughs> go me, yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and let y'all prepare your finances and I'm gonna just pray over y'all. Father, I thank you for the people who choose to give tonight, that they're sowing into good ground, Father, that this ministry that you bless us with, that you called us to, Father, we're reaching people all across the world and when they give into this ministry, they're part of that. Every person healed, set free, delivered, they're a part of that, that goes to their account in heaven. And Father, I declare Luke 6, 38, as they give, it's given back to them, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, running over. I call their bank accounts running over. I call our bank accounts running over in Jesus' name. Angels, you bring in the wealth of the wicked. You bring in the wealth of the wicked to the righteous. We are your righteous. We are righteous in you, Christ Jesus. We are righteous in you, Father. We stand in our righteousness, Father because of you, and we thank you for that. We thank you for seed to sow. We thank you for tithes to tithe with. Father, we love you, and we call you faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.